Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. We're going to continue in our study of the book of Revelation. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9 is where we are currently in our study. The last time that we were together, we looked at the effects of the... the moment of silence in heaven and the uh, the seal being opened and God uh, pouring out His wrath upon the earth. And we stopped at the end of chapter 8, even though that's not really uh, the section that we're working on. Really, last week and this week kind of go together. So just think of it that we didn't have time to go all the way through chapter 9 um, last week. Uh, we did basically chapter 8. And uh, so tonight we're going to pick up at the beginning of chapter 9 and go through verse 12. Um, but it's a continuation. So when we uh, jump back into this, just think of, the, of what we studied last week and about the fact that uh, uh, it began when the seventh seal was open and all the, the trumpet blasts, uh, the angels pouring out the, uh, the wrath of God. And uh, so we pick up uh, tonight with the fifth angel in verse 1. And let's kind of look at that. And I'm going to read through that a little bit and, and we're going to take a, t- a bit of time to, to look at this. And remember, as we were... As we're reading through this, uh, I spoke to you about the emphasis of, in spite of this uh, being a period in which God is pouring out His wrath, uh, it's not the wrath of God that we need to focus on. It's, it's the message that God is delivering as the wrath of God is pouring out. First of all, uh, we mentioned that the message that God is giving is, is that He is holy and righteous. And uh, he, His holiness and righteousness demands an accounting of, of sin. Uh, so many people today uh, in, in our world that are without God, uh, they have a tendency to, whenever I speak to them about their salvation, a lot of times, as I mentioned last week, uh, what typically they say is, well, my God, quote unquote, my God is not a vengeful God. He wouldn't send anybody to hell. And a God that wouldn't send anyone to hell is a God that does not uh, have righteousness because God's holiness demands an accounting for sin. God's holiness and righteousness demands that uh, those who approach Him, those who are in, her, in His presence, are righteous and holy as well. And, and praise God that He allows us to have that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Praise God that He allows us to not have to earn that righteousness or holiness, but that He freely gives that to us through His grace and His mercy. And see, that's the difference. The people in the world and society say, well, my God wouldn't demand uh, a, uh, that 
there be punishment for sin because He's a loving God. A loving God demand uh, just like um, people in in the world uh, say to parents, "Don't spank your child." Don't spank your child because that's being cruel. Don't whip your child. And it's uh, several years back, even um, I think even when I was young, they began to say instead of a spanking, they started saying it was, uh, do you beat your children? Excuse me? Uh, no, I don't beat my children. I spank my children. Uh, and the reason is, is this, a beating is because I'm angry and, and vindictive. A spanking is because I love my children and seeking to give them guidance and direction. There's a huge difference. A spanking is done out of love because you want to see your child correct the course that is leading them into a pathway of more hurt and pain and suffering but a spanking is a temporary adjustment of that child so that they'll avoid the circumstances that will lead them into pain, more further pain and suffering. Not because of a spank, uh, additional spankings, but because of the results of their actions leading them either to a life of crime and a life of being imprisoned and, uh, or any number of things, you, you name it. Um, and they went so far as when I was young even to adopt this uh, style of saying, and I had an aunt that that, uh, and I wouldn't say this, uh, but she's on, gone on to be with the Lord, so uh, it's okay to to say this. But I had a relative that that uh, didn't even say no to her children. She believed the philosophy that you don't say no to your children; that you uh, only say yes. That you say and try and and the problem is is that it was done incorrectly um, uh, but I tell my children no all the time and they're not hurt <laughs> they're not uh, uh, <coughs> they're not living in pain or suffering simply because <coughs> from time to time I say well we just can't do that we're not going to do that uh, or when they were even smaller no and the thing about it is if you if you if you raise if you uh, I'll do this in the correct grammatical way. If you rear your children correctly, uh, everybody wants to say race. If you rear your children correctly, you, uh, and I found this to be true, um, I only had to discipline my child a few times. My children, they learn quickly that when mommy and daddy say something, that's exactly what uh, mommy and daddy expect. And <clears throat> For the rest of their lives, they, I've not had to discipline my children simply because they learn to uh, listen to the instruction that mommy and daddy has. And, and I'm not saying that to brag about me or my children. It's just, I think, a simple law and, uh, and the, uh, the, the principle of proper disciplining of your children. You, tell your ch you, you rear your children correctly when they're little and the punishment is small. And you don't have to increase the punishment when they get bigger because they're not going to get into those kind of things that result in punishment. They're going to, they understand and know you love them. 
And children and psychologists and educators will tell you that children flourish in environments where they have boundaries. They don't flourish when they're just given any uh, permission to do whatever they want to because guess what? Uh, the child uh, learns that, well, my, my parents don't care about me. Uh, they don't care what I do. They don't care this. They don't care that. And so they just do whatever they want to and they continue to do more and more egregious things. And as a result, and in order to, to find out when are my parents going to step in? When are they going to say no? When are they going to, to, to hem me in and show me the love that I'm looking for? And those parents continue to, to, uh, to give their children free reign to the point where their children just, uh, they, they give up hope on their parents loving them. God is, is the same way. He loves us and a loving God admonishes His children. A loving God admonishes those whom He loves. And the Bible tells us that uh, in His Holy Word. Uh, God loves us and because of that love He corrects us and admonishes us and chastens after us when we deviate from His plan. Why? Because He loves us and wants us to be in the right uh, direction. So this chapter 8 and chapter 9 is not about the wrath of God. It's about the love of God. It's about God. And we saw that with uh, everything that happened. The, uh, each of the things, the, uh, uh, the hailstones and uh, the, uh, the star that fell out of the sky and all these things, it uh, did not completely wipe out all of humanity. It simply was a way in which God is demonstrating uh, the righteousness and holiness of God, as I said, His love, His compassion, His mercy, His grace. All of things. these things are demonstrated in what is happening in God's desire to see mankind turn to Him, turn to Him and, uh, and love Him and follow Him. Chapter 9 starts off and says, The fifth angel sounded the trumpet, uh, is what he sounded. The fifth uh, angel sounded the trumpet and I saw a star from heaven, uh, uh, a star fall from heaven, and unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and to them was given power, <coughs> as the scorpion of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months, and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man." And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were likened to horses preparing unto battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold and their faces were like the faces of men. And they had hair as hair of women, and the teeth were as uh, the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates as uh, were breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. 
And they had tails like in the scorpions and were, sting, uh, were stinging on their tails. And their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, uh, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Uh, one, uh, one woe is past, and behold, there came two woes more hereafter. And so we'll stop there uh, tonight at verse 12. Now, first of all, uh, what we see in verse 1 is, is that the fifth angel sounds and a star from heaven falls uh, to the earth. Now, this is not the same as the star that is mentioned in chapter 8. Now, a star in chapter 8 is wormwood that fell into the oceans and uh, caused uh, the oceans to turn uh, to blood. And it also caused a third of the sea life uh, to, to die and uh, for a third of the ships to be destroyed and a third of the men and all that. This is an angel that's not... Uh, uh, it's not a star that's falling from heaven. It's really a messenger of God. It's an angel. It is a uh, someone that uh, God has sent. And uh, the reason I say it's God that uh, has sent this star or the angel from heaven to earth uh, because uh, it is this angel that opens the bottomless pit. God's the one that has the key to the bottomless pit, and so therefore, He's a messenger of God. And plus, it's that God that that uh, that causes the angel to sound and allows the uh, the star to fall from heaven. So uh, this that's what this means when it says a star fell from uh, heaven unto earth. Uh, many times whenever it mentions a star, it is uh, symbolic for an angel or a messenger of God. And that's what it is here in this situation. And so God opens up the shaft to the abyss. This shaft that's, uh, that is the bottomless pit is a shaft to the underworld. Uh, and this is, uh, of course, the location of Abaddon, uh, the angel that is uh, the one over the bottomless pit, uh, the king over the bottomless pit. And uh, we understand that to be the case because uh, when the bottomless pit is open, uh, there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Now, it's believed that the smoke that arises is actually... Uh, this locust that comes out of the bottomless pit. Uh, many times in ancient writings, it mentions that uh, that a swarm of locusts can uh, black uh, blot out the sun and can cover the earth. And the last, and actually, it's been documented in 1912. It was the last time that it actually occurred. Uh, and so, uh, this is most likely what. Uh, John is referring to it's not a smoke that necessarily as in as in something's burning down there and smoke is coming out it is the locust that's coming out it's blotting out the sun it's covering the earth and uh, locusts have been known to cover the earth and uh, so it is an infestation of locusts and it's uh, it this is a correlation 
to uh, one of the plagues that is found in Exodus chapter 10, verse 12 through 20. Remember last week we talked about some of these uh, things that are occurring. Uh, there is a one-for-one correlation with what happens in uh, the Old Testament when uh, the children of Israel are being delivered from bondage of slavery uh, and uh, God is, is bringing about this deliverance. This is a message of God as well as God delivering the the wrath of God as it was in chapter 8. This is a little different in that it shows directly that God has power over all creation that God has power over all things in the earth and it is showing God's authority over the earth. Uh, What happened in Exodus when God uh, brought the swarm of locusts uh, upon Egypt along with the flies and the gnats and the frogs and everything else, it was uh, to demonstrate God's power and authority over creation. And in, you remember when I told you last week that the reason that God uh, did those, uh, uh, those plagues in Egypt was to demonstrate God's power as being over all these things because the Egyptians worshipped gods that were gods over these different things. God over uh, the Nile River and God over... Uh, uh, all the things that creep and all the insects and there's gods over amphibians and there was all these uh, Egypt was a place in which they worship multitudes of gods and God was demonstrating that he wasn't just one of those gods he was God over all things and he did that with uh, the hell that fell from heaven he did that with uh, the darkening of the sun he did that with all these different uh, uh, plagues in Egypt and he's doing demonstrating that once again here in chapter 9 of uh, during these woes or, or these uh, uh, bold judgments that God is delivering and uh, so uh, it says here that uh, the sun and the air were darkened and there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power and it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth neither any green thing neither any tree but only those men which have not the seal of God what you need to understand uh, when it says uh, it was given unto them they were instructed uh, it was given unto them these are uh, acts of God these are all three in that uh, short uh, section of Scripture. It's showing the hand of God working in uh, this situation because what do locusts do? Whenever there's a swarm of locusts, and in the Old Testament and other places where locusts appear, what happens? They'll wipe out every green thing that's uh, that's around. Everything that's green, it just simple. They simply wipe it all out. So uh, when a swarm of locusts comes through, uh, they eat grass, they eat trees, they eat plants, they eat everything. And yet, uh, this is John telling us these are not actually locusts, but it is as if they're a swarm of locusts, but these are demons. These, this is a demonic presence because uh, they are uh, 
God's instructing these locusts, so to speak, uh, they were not to uh, eat any of the green. They're not acting as if they are actual locusts. They're acting and performing in a way that's different from locusts. God, it's not only just God's power over them, but uh, we'll see that it's not actual locusts because of the description that's given in a little bit uh, in a few moments. Uh, so these are actually a demonic presence that God has opened up the abyss, the place of uh, the great pit. Uh, we also know that as uh, the pit of hell, uh, the lake of fire, the, uh, the presence of, of Satan. Uh, up comes from the earth. Uh, these uh, locusts is what uh, John is able to describe them as, and they're instructed by God. God has divine authority over them in spite of the fact that it's said there in the Scripture that there is a king over them. God has authority in that he, it says that they were not allowed to eat any green thing, and they were also to... Um, to pester or they were to inflict pain upon those who did not have the mark of God upon them. And uh, that is not... that's not the characteristic of, of locusts. It's rather a different characteristic. And so uh, they were told in verse 4, three and five, uh, verses 3 through 5, uh, they were instructed by God uh, that they were not to uh, eat the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but they were only to, uh, to go after those men which do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And to them was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months, and their torment was the torment of a scorpion uh, when he striketh a man. And so in verse 5 we see that, uh, verse 4 it says, don't destroy the grass. It's consistent with uh, what happens in chapter 8 when we see that God is... Again, God is sparing His creation. He's showing grace and mercy. Uh, with this swarm of, of locusts, He could have allowed all vegetation to be destroyed, uh, just as it was in chapter 8, uh, that the, uh, this destruction of the, of the grass and all the uh, trees and plants and everything happened. Only a third of it happened. Um, and there's, again, I mentioned the paradox of locusts harming people rather than vegetation. Verse 6, uh, we see in verse 6, And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. The torment that they receive as described in cha- uh, verse 5 is is that they that these locusts are going to torment Men, uh, mankind, men that do not have the seal of God upon their forehead, and this, uh, these men that are being tormented are going to be tormented so much. Uh, it is likened unto the torment of a scorpion. Now, a scorpion is able to uh, use its uh, 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 striking power with its tail in order to uh, create venom and, and inflict venom upon its prey. Many times it paralyzes the prey so that they eat it. But if you and I are get hit by a scorpion, it's going to make us very ill and sick. And that's what it's saying here that uh, these 
locusts are not going to uh, kill mankind, but in, ver- in verse 6 it says that those men are going to want to die and desire to die, but they'll not be able to, uh, to die. Uh, it is to terrorize the the purpose of the locust is to terrorize those who do not have uh, the uh, mark of God upon them uh, and the uh, the reversal is found in that uh, mankind humanity is uh, desiring evil over God um, Rather than desiring God and His deliverance, uh, these men that that are being afflicted with pain are desiring to have the rocks fall upon them. They're desiring to die. Rather than turning to God, you would think, you and I would think, you know, if, if it gets bad enough, don't most people say, oh God, help me out, even if they don't know God? I mean, isn't that usually what happens if somebody gets so sick they have a come-to-Jesus moment and they have a desire to get right with God or if they get, uh, they find out they have some kind of disease or they uh, get uh, uh, thrown in the penitentiary or they, get, uh, they go through some kind of situation that everything is bad and everything is happening, the world is falling in on them. They usually have a come to Jesus, so to speak, moment, uh, quote unquote, where they have a desire to get right with God so that God will deliver them from this circumstance. Even when people are have no relationship with God and they're about to be in an accident or they have someone that's uh, coming at them with a gun or a knife or something, they turn to God. They have a desire to turn to God. And yet, these men... They're described here in the book of Revelation. They're desiring to run away from God. They don't want to turn to God. Uh, This shows the corruption of mankind. This shows the utter depravity of man that they would rather flee from God rather than turn to God. And that's an important distinction. That's an important fact for us to, to take into account. Look at the description. And the shapes of the locusts were likened to horses prepared to battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates, as it were, the breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men for five months. The some of the description here is that uh, the gold wreaths was a uh, symbol of their invincibility. Uh, many of us would would take to trying to using some kind of insecticide on the locusts or some kind, maybe we get a big shoe or something and try and squash them with, uh, with our shoe. Uh, we've got these humongous grasshoppers down. What are those things called? Georgia thumpers. Uh, when I think of locusts, I think of those things. It's about the same size, aren't they? I mean, uh, uh, they're humongous things. And, um, of course, I, they... Are those Georgia thumpers bad for your plants and stuff? They will eat them. They'll eat them? Okay, well, I'll start killing them. But I usually just flick them and get them away. <laughs> but uh, 
with those things you'd take a big old boot or, or something and you want to stomp on them or something like that um, this is an indication that uh, these locusts uh, these demons are not uh, being uh, able to be destroyed but rather they have and the gold wreath is a symbol as a simile of an invincibility, the long hair uh, that's described in verse seven is a is a indication of uncleanliness and morality, wild and barbaric, and uh, they are led by their king, which his name is Apollyon and Abaddon. Uh, the name Apollyon in Greek is a word that means destroyer, and the word abandon in Hebrew is. Uh, means kingdom of the dead. And so they are with all practicality from the pit of hell. And they are emissaries of the pit of hell. And they are being used by God to bring punishment upon mankind. And so this is what's going on in this uh, section of Scripture is that that God is is bringing a... uh, uh, Description. He's he's showing a a description of punishment of God, and this is the kind of punishment that, that will come from those who uh, continue to flee from God. He's in essence showing them a preview of what is to come, uh, that they'll have a desire to die but be unable to die. That sounds like hell to me. Uh, that they'll be stung and constantly stung, and and they'll be unable to uh, to cease that. That's an image of of what hell must be like. Now, I've told you in the past that <coughs> that beyond the fire and the brimstone and all that, that are descriptions of hell. And we'll get into that more as we get closer to the end of Scripture. That hell is hell because uh, it is the total absence of the presence of God. The total absence of the love of God. That is what makes uh, hell... Uh, a place you don't want to go more than anything. It is described as um, the place that usually is outside of the gate of Jerusalem where all the trash is dumped and it's a place where uh, there's worms and maggots rolling through all the trash and debris. It's constantly on fire and it's a place of fire and brimstone. That is the classic description of hell and that's where uh, many scholars believe the description of hell comes from was this trash dump outside of the gates uh, or outside the walls of of Jerusalem. And I've described for you that because so many people in our world and our society say, well, no, hell's a place where, well, all those who are without God, they say, oh, I'm going to just party it up. All my friends are going to be there. We're going to just be all partying and, and all that. And the classic description of hell is a place where Satan's, uh, you know, hitting you with the porch uh, porch pitchfork and he's he's got his long tail and his horns and all of that and and there's fire and brimstone that's not uh, a realistic image of hell it is the very utter uh, the very uh, just think about this what's the description of god god is all powerful he knows all things and he is in all places and so uh, God, at the end of Revelation, it says that God prepared a place for Satan and his, uh, the angels that fell 
that we call demons, those uh, angels that are uh, followers of, of Satan. And that place is described as the lake of fire at the end of, of Revelation. Um, but it is a place completely devoid of God's presence. God empties Himself of that place. And so God's presence is not there. If God's not there, His love's not there. They're continually away from the presence of God. And this is a description, uh, this is a foretaste of what it must be like in hell for those who reject God. And there are going to be those who do reject God because uh, it says here that rather than uh, turning to God and calling out for God, they wish... Those day men in verse six. In those days, men shall. Does it say to will they're gone? Call out to God for help. Does it say that they uh, cry out for mercy from God? Does it say that they turn their hearts to God? No, they desire or they seek death, and they sh- uh, shall not find it. They desire to die, and death shall flee from them. In the next uh, section, we're going to look at uh, the sixth angel, and that angel will. Uh, loose the four angels that are mentioned prior to this in uh, the book of Revelation. We'll continue on then, but we'll stop for here now. And that message is that God is still seeking those who would turn back to Him. He is, uh, as a parent would uh, chase after their child to get them to turn back to Him, to chasten them to turn back into His loving embrace, to chasing them to to seek to to renew their relationship to God and yet uh, there will be those who will f- uh, flee from God in spite of that and so that's the message of this passage of scripture uh, and I appreciate you being here for this and I'll give you a chance to ask any questions do you have any